Well, last episode, we had a special aggressive life on the coronavirus. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of the coronavirus. I'm not just getting tired of the effects of it. I'm getting tired of even talking about it. So I figured the best gift I could give you today was something that wasn't corona-related. Can I hear some applause from the bandstands, please? Man, I got a treat for you today. You're not going to hear us talk today about coronavirus, COVID-19, quarantines, social distancing. Oh, I'm so tired. You're not going to hear about any of that today, but you're going to hear an incredible story that I think is going to encourage you and maybe even captivate you. But be warned, it covers some adult content and language. Well, here we go. This is The Aggressive Life. In the long run, passivity won't pay off. It never pays off. If you want a life of meaning and transcendence, you're going to have to move. Aggression doesn't have to be toxic or damaging. Healthy aggression risks. It builds new things. It breaks through barriers. It's the key to living a life that matters. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Unexpected. That's the word for the day, boys and girls. Unexpected. You know, when you when you live your life on your terms and you grab your life by the throat and you err on the aggressive side and you make aggressive mistakes versus passive mistakes, when you're pushing things, unexpected things happen. It's unexpected that a rock star, a real live legitimate rock star, would actually have a real live soft heart for God. That's unexpected. And that's who we're going to talk to today. It's all about the unexpected. As we talk today with my guest, I want you to be thinking about what what unexpected things could happen in my life if I made a move. What, What kind of things might I be pleasantly surprised by if I stepped out from the normal script that I've been writing for my life or that other people are putting on me. Unexpected. In the mid-90s, Korn took the world by storm. They released a string of generation-defining albums. That's K-O-R-N. They played to 200,000 people at Woodstock, toured with bands like Ozzy Osbourne, All Aboard, (laughs) Metallica. They seemed to have the world by the throat. Much of that attributed to the uncanny sounds coming from the guitarist Brian Head Welch. But success was not all it seemed. Finding himself a single dad dealing with a heavy drug addiction, he started to tiptoe towards faith. In 2005, he walked away from Korn and a $25 million recording contract to pursue his faith and become a fully present father to his daughter, Jenea. The departure shocked the music world, but... Welch wasn't finished. He continued creating music. He's written four books, produced a documentary about his journey, and after seven years away, rejoined Korn in 2012. Their newest album, The Nothing, debuted in the Billboard Top 10. His willingness to make aggressive moves is inspiring. Please welcome Brian Head Welch. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. What an introduction. <laughs> Can I live up to that? Well, I fir- don't know. First, well, what is Head? Brian Head, where would that come from? That's R-rated. 
That's R-rated? That's I'm just right. joking. So, no. I'm totally joking. That's okay, because I was wondering if it was. No, it's uh, my head grew before my body at 13, <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, he has a man's head. Look at that head. Hey, head, get over here. Hey, I don't want head on our team. Did anyone say, Brian, you got a big head? Nope, they just said head. (laughs) Is that Life of Brian? Uh, No, it's, um, oh, it's an Austin Powers movie. Oh, Mike Myers. He don't know. (laughs) You got a big head. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, um, let's talk about corn. I. I, I am a corn fan as of as of about a week ago after watching a movie on Brian and corn, which we'll talk about in a moment. But take us back to those of us who that's not our genre of music or we're just too old or we're not cool enough. Tell us about corn. You have to come to a show soon. But corn um, was birthed out of desire and and fandom of five guys in the band that just loved all different kinds of music. We loved metal. We loved hip hop. We loved like really hard metal, you know, as far as like grindcore, just rah, 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 rah. we loved uh, we loved melody and some pop. We loved the oldies like Tom Petty and and the Eagles and and then ACDC and then Metallica. And so we kind of like mixed everything in. Our singer loved industrial. He loved new wave. So we had like this this softness about us, this heaviness about us, and this groove that was all mixed together. We were kind of thrown in with rap metal, but we our singer never raps. He's kind of more darker and everything, but he sang a lot about issues and emotional uh, things that happen in life as far as like um, getting bullied at school, um, abuse at home or whatever. Um, and so a lot of people, you know, understood what he was talking about. And so we we had a cult following and it's still How'd going How did you guys today. get to know each other? Um, I met the singer around fifth or sixth grade. Wow. And yeah, I met the bass player seventh grade. I met the, gu- the other guitar player ninth grade, and I got him playing his guitar. He had an acoustic, and I was like, "Dude, step up, bro!" I sold him mine and and jacked up the price so I can get the one that I wanted <laughs> that I was waiting saving up for. And uh, the drummer I met at sixteen, so we grew up together. You know, didn't anyone tell you that the rock and roll life doesn't pay the bills? Didn't didn't you listen to anybody? Yeah, my father. Yes. Says you need a backup plan. I had no backup plan. I had music, and that was it. And I don't know how it happened, but you know, forty something million albums later. So did he choose to just trust you, or did you just defiantly say, "I'm doing this"? Or what? What did that dynamic look like as a young guy? With dad? Yeah. No, he was like, you know, just figure it out. But you need a backup plan. You know, not not too many people make it, and so. He was right, but I was lazy. And so I just was like, you know, I worked at Pizza Hut. I delivered pizzas and my beat-up Toyota Celica. And then that's in Huntington Beach, California. Then I delivered pizzas to Balboa Island, Newport Beach, um, on a bike. And all the skater kids and surfers would just, hey, pizza kook. Hey, bring me a pizza, you little nerd. (laughs) So I paid my dues. But uh, my dad helped me out, though. My mom and dad, they paid for me to go to a, a school called L.A. Recording Workshop in L.A., and I, and I went to learn the recording industry. But my brain is not wired like that. I'm an artist. And so whatever they taught me, I forgot, and I didn't get a job, and I lied to them and said, yeah, I'm working at this music place. And I was, but I was in an assembly line 
testing like buttons. <laughs> I did that for like three years, and then corn formed about uh, five years after that school. So, how old were you then when corn formed? It was twenty-three. So, was there a moment where you and other the other guys in the band looked at each other and said, "Hey, dudes, I think I think this could work. I think this is actually going to put some ravioli in the tummy." Um, when we got our singer, so we had a different singer in a band called Creep in L.A. trying to play some gigs. And we kicked him out, and we went back to Bakersfield, where we all grew up, and, I, and we saw this singer perform at this little beat-up bar. And I was like, we need a singer like that. And so we moved back, or, or we were visiting, right? So we went back to L.A., and our drummer's like, why don't we just call him up and steal him? And we were like, great idea. So they called him up, two of the guys that were like telemarketers. Actually, they were telemarketers. So they were like, <laughs> hey, man, we uh, a couple of guys saw you play in... Uh, how about coming down to L.A.? Fair enough. <laughs> Just using their telemarketing skills. Once we got him in the band, I heard his voice. I, I saw him on stage perform. I said, that guy's a star. That guy is a front man. That guy has something unique. He's not the best singer in the world, but he has the tone. The, the X factor, too. It sounds like somebody. And so he was hesitant. He, he was a mortician assistant, so he helped embalm dead bodies and worked. Perfect. Right? That's the best Freaking singer story ever in metal. This is fascinating. You, when you felt like it was going to be legit, just on the giftedness of this guy in the band, it wasn't. I was expecting you to say, "Well, when we played for X venue and there was X thousand people," you're saying you were able to sense we have the stuff with this one edition. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Because I had been in band since I was 15 years old. And the the weak link was I wasn't the best musician, and we weren't the best musicians. But the weakest link was sorry, Ron, sorry, Richard, the singers. And so once I heard somebody that could like actually be, I heard a voice that I could hear on radio. That was it. I was like, I could hear this on radio. The others I couldn't hear on radio. So corn's been going for how long now? Twenty, almost twenty six years. Twenty six years. I think it's been pretty impressive. You guys have been able to to hang together or stay together for as long as you have, sustain yourself for as long as you have. But well, I left. Yeah, let's, 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 let's go there. They sustained it. I yeah. didn't. Well, that's not the whole story, but I love your humility. Tell us, um, <laughs> why, Matt, rather than me just ask you questions to get to interesting things, why don't you just tell us your story however you want to, as long as you want to, and I'll pepper things in and interrupt you as, as I want, because this is my podcast, and I do what I want. I don't care if you're a rock star. I'll do what I want on my podcast. Wow. How do you like them apples? Well, you're, now you're being really humble like me, so like, that's awesome. <laughs> no, just tell us your story, brother. All right. Well, I got in the band. We got up to there, so we got him in the band. We start writing songs, and I'm just like, we have a producer that works in L.A. He hasn't done nothing big, but he believes in us. And there's a band called Wasp in the 80s. And Wasp was recording with him. But to help us, when Wasp went home, he snuck us in the studio and would record us all night long. Wow. So free studio. We did a demo and started shopping around the labels. We got a record deal and uh, went in to record our first record. We started messing around with drugs then. It was crystal meth. I just went. I mean, I tried pot when I was eight, eight years old, 12 years old, and I, I didn't stay smoking. But so in my tw- early 20s, I went straight to meth. I, I was drinking one night, and I was seeing double, 
and I had to drive home. It was only a few blocks, but I was like, I can't drive. And my friend's like, try this. It'll sober you up. I did it, and I was like. <laughs> and so I started doing that a lot and a few of the, most of the other band members. And when we got a record deal, it was like, do the record, hit the road. So we, we told each other, look, we can't do meth. We're going to ruin our career before it starts. Mm. Let's just do coke. So we got on the road. Because you can actually sleep on coke, and you can't sleep on meth. You know, it's hard to sleep on coke, but you can. You can, you know, drink some beer, wind down. And so on the road, it just it seemed like it wasn't what I ever imagined. Because when you're a kid, you just you see the fantasy, right? It's like rock star, everybody's screaming your name. And that part's cool. But then the crazy thing is just waking up hungover every day. And I remember waiting behind. I remember we're on tour with Ozzy. We, we were direct support right before him. And I was waiting behind a curtain. And it was like, we go on like 7 o'clock and... And and all these people were out there, and we were backstage, and it was just so, it just sem- seemed so empty. And I was like, wow, we're just kind of waking up, we're still hungover. I don't really want to play. When I was a kid, I'm thinking, you're just going to love it. Go, go on stage, yeah, what's up, Chicago, whatever. And you have nights like that, but it just becomes, life is life. You know, you wake up and you do your thing. You do it every day for 100 times a year or more. It just becomes like anything else like being a pastor or going to work every day you know yeah that's how it was so it was it kind of got empty but we just partied our whole way through the first decade and we we were functioning alcoholics drug addicts and we just climbed this ladder of success i don't know how it happened but we weren't like geniuses or the best players we just had a sound our singer had a vibe and he was a he was a wounded soul that attracted multitudes of wounded souls and they were just like I look up to this guy so much. I look up to this band. They have a unique sound, and the singer is just singing about real issues, and he's crying on some of the some of the songs. He's crying, and no one ever did that. He was just like, why'd you do this to me? You know, and uh, it was authentic. He was really crying in front of us at the studio when he's recording it. People related, man, and still do. That's really good for me to hear. You know, Bono, and challenging for me to hear, Brian. Uh, I read Bono's book, conversation with Misha Siasis, he said, um, and, you know, an artist is one who takes their their fingers, what I do is I take my fingers, I jam it into my sternum, I rip open my, my rib cage, and I grab my heart, and I hold it out, and I tell people, well, here, here you have it. And I try to do that when I'm on stage, and as I, as I mentor other men and women who are doing that, I'm like, hey, people are not interested in your thoughts. I'm sorry, they're not. They're not interested in your theology, they want to know if you're going to light yourself on fire. They're going to know if you're going to bring out your heart and be vulnerable. It's it's easy to have the right words. It's harder to be a lot harder to be vulnerable though. Right. Especially as males. Yeah. You know, and young males, it's even harder. I remember going through emotional issues at like 18. My parents took me into counseling, and I just I used every bit of strength not to communicate what I was feeling because I didn't want to talk about what I was feeling. It was like, that's the last thing I wanted to do. I was so just tied up in a knot inside of my emotions. I was just like, when is this going to be over? I want to go hang with my friends, you know? You just close off. So, yeah. I learned uh, vulnerability. I can't say that word. Say it. Say it three times. I, I, I don't want to say it. Vulnerability. 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 I learned that, like, after I met Christ, you know? And so 
I just held everything back and shoved everything way down. Oh, you're, before okay, then. you're jumping way ahead in your story. So you just got to the band. No, I mean, was, Christ, my friend John Christ. He's like, my. T- I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we're hitting the road. We're, we're going on tours. We start getting all this press. Everybody wants us to tour with them. Metallica invites us, Ozzy, like all these different types. And Ozzy was my guy, man. I had posters everywhere. And he was like my king. And I just, I remember we went gold, our first record. Him and Sharon came in our dressing room, and they're like, congratulations, we bought you some wine for your gold record. And Sharon just, like, prophesied to us. She's like, you guys are going to have a very long career. And and Ozzy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, this is so cool. I can't understand him. But he's just the coolest guy ever. So it was just surreal. And I still look up to him. He's amazing. He's still going, kicking ass. And uh, so, yeah, so just our second record came out, number three on Billboard. After being a band three years professionally, our third record came out, went through the roof. uh, Number one record all over um, on MTV every day. It just skyrocketed. And we, we all started having kids around that time. And so... It was just I was confused. I was happy. I was, I was, I got married. I, I wanted to be a wild man on the road, but then I wanted to be a family man. And there was two me's. There's all of us in the band. There's two of us. And just go home and lie, and and try to be the best husband and dad, and go on the road and be the rock star. And it didn't work. All marriages like got divorced within two or three years. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's got to be, I'm sure you put, I would say, average guy, any guy, or at least 95% of any guy in that career, in that environment, with that success at that age. I don't, I don't think any, there are many people be any different than that. Right. You just don't know. And it's, you know, even I, my heart was like to, I, my parents are still together today. And so I, my heart was to get married and. And I tried to resist temptations on the road, but I couldn't do it. Yeah, it was just I did better than anybody else. That's my uh, yeah. That's my, so my, you weren't Will Chamberlain, you're saying? No, yeah. I felt I never I liked it. Like afterwards, I just felt empty. I, I was like, you know, I don't even know this person or care about him at all, and I felt depressed. Just want to get more high or drunk. It was weird. I was like, I should. That was another reason why my start sinking personally because I'm like. It's not working. What everybody wants, the rock star life, is not working. I'm depressed, sleeping around. I'm hungover every day. I'm supposed to like this. Why don't I like this? So as the years passed, I started getting more like um, the world is a lie, and I would rather not exist and go to sleep and not wake up. So that's what I wanted. I wanted to, to be non-existent, to be extinct. Do you think that feeling you had uh, as a rock star, so so rare to actually say as a rock star when we have a little rock star here, um, do you think you had that, you know what I mean? Was it like a rock star? No, you are a rock star. You're not like you are a rock. Do you, How common do you think that feeling is amongst rock stars, that feeling of emptiness? Do you think you were a bit unique? Do you feel like a lot of people feel that way? They just don't want to verbalize it? What, what do you think? I think a lot of people feel that way because there's so much addiction and depression on the road you just get the, the, the 
cold hard fact that you you realize the fantasy is not the reality, and and it's not it doesn't fulfill, and it's amazing. You get money, you can buy houses and everything, but you still are just a human, and you're not you didn't reach this like super human divine status being a rock star, you know? Right. And so yeah, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of uh, broken marriages. Off, obviously, you know, with all kinds of entertainers and uh, depression because you're at the top. You know, they say it's lonely. At, you're lonely at the top, or it's lonely at the top. I mean. You, I'm sure you've experienced your, your successes, even knowing the meaning of life. You know, it's like it's just it's just lonely sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's like there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, I don't know that I ever feel lonely. I do. I do feel um, alone, if that makes sense. I don't feel lonely, but I feel there are some things that I have to wrestle with that I can't talk to many people about mm. or i could talk to them about it but they wouldn't they wouldn't understand it right that, that makes sense. that kind of thing you know what i mean yeah um there, was there an empty feeling as you were younger and coming up and everything and it's like if i got to be this mega pastor or whatever oh that would be and then you got there and and you're like any empty feeling at all or were you just loving no, it? we're never, all wired different so i never i never had any empty feeling Part of that was because if you put a gun to my head and you said, okay, Brian, tell me right now, tell me how, how do you think God's going to use you? What's the size of the thing you're going to lead? I, I, I couldn't have given you a number. And if I did give you a number or any metrics, it'd be like an infantile, small decimal point of what it is right now. So I live in this awareness of, <laughs> I, I know this is so way beyond me that I never have any temptations to be prideful and and then get lonely because only only I can deal with this. No, I know that God's got God's been doing stuff that I just could not strong arm. And that I think that's part of how I've been able to keep my sanity. And I actually find that that's very common amongst pastors who have larger things. Mm-hmm. I actually find some of the most prideful pastors are, are, are those who are in smaller things. I don't know why that is, but I know that you, know, you get to place. I'm, I'm sure of you, you feel that way. I mean, you feel like even though you guys weren't searching after God, did you feel like the hand of God is on your band? No, I had, I was totally blind. But now looking back on it, do you feel Oh, hundred percent. Yep. Cause he's, he's out and he's using, um, unchurched people, non-Christians. He's using Christians. He's, he said he'll pour his spirit on all flesh, you know? And so he's helping the world through atheists and all kinds of, you know, maybe not practicing atheists, but I was pretty much an atheist, but you know, I never talked about God ever. This funny thing is, I got bullied in junior high, and this kid became my best friend just for like a year. And he told me about Jesus, and his family told me about Jesus. And I asked Jesus in my heart without telling them. So I had this thing where I think he was his spirit was there. He was allowing me to feel the emptiness. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this isn't it, Brian. This is it. This isn't it. This is... This is a gift, but this isn't it. And I thought it was it. And then I was so blind that I never even thought about God. Or The only thing, when I was like 18 years old, I prayed that I wouldn't go bald. And that was it. That's like the only <laughs> prayer I prayed. And it, look, he answered that too. <laughs> wow. No kidding. How, how long did it take to, to get uh, dreads like that? I mean, you got some that are down your waist. How long does it take? Um, or those weaves? 2011. Are those weaves? No way. I did... 
when I first started them, I had a couple. Uh, my my daughter made me a couple dreads from Sally's Beauty Beauty Supply fake hair, or it was real hair, but it was for sale. But uh, no, those are all out. It's my curly hair. That's cool. Well, oh, no, no, he is. Let's show the record. The rock star is smelling his own hair like it's a I joint. I wash it. I'm every watching it right now. Two years, so get over it. Is that? Are you serious? No, I wash it every week because it helps. It helps lock it at the base where your scalp is. How do you is. wash that? Uh, I mean, I would think if you washed it, would come out. It would come out of. It wouldn't be dreads anymore. I use my fingers. So you don't wash. You're not washing downwards, slow, just up by your scalp. I do the scalp, and then like every month or two, I do all the way down. But I'm getting ready to cut like in like a lot off. Don't cut that. I cut them. Every, come on. Every, really? Yeah, like three times a year, I cut them. All right. Because uh, I go. Wait, I got to tell you why. Why? Because I go on stage, and my head is so heavy. So when I cut them, it feels lighter. No kidding. You're telling me the truth right yeah. now. Is that why like, every time I see your videos, you plan, your head's always down in your waist and you're looking at your shoes and bobbing your head? No, I did that when I didn't have any hair, but oh, okay. it's all not right. good on my neck, I'll tell you that. All right, so we're jumping around the story, which is fascinating. So all you've, you've gotten us to as far as you felt empty with all this, some of the stuff in the rock star life. Then what happened? Um, remember that pact we made not to do meth? Yes. As a band? Well, about... 10 years into it and I would when I went home I'd mess around with it a little bit and cuz everybody was doing it back then in our in our realm it was like almost everybody was doing it and so when I went back home I would like do it one night and then not do it for a few months well about 10 years into the band I just was like my wife left I was a single dad um 9/11 happened and I just, I don't know. I tried to get sober, and then I couldn't. Then I fell into Vicodins. I was taking like a dozen, a couple dozen a day. And after I got off the Vicodin, I was like, oh, I'm just going to do, I want to do meth again. Just one night. Did it and uh, ended up continuing, continuing, continuing. And then we had a tour, and I'm like, I don't have time to get off it because you basically crash for like weeks after you do the speed. And when you're up, you go down. And so I was like, I'm just going to do this tour. I'll just do a little bit just so I can survive. Afterwards, I'll quit. I got off tour and then I kept doing it. And two years, I did it like 800 and something days in a row. Wow. And uh, yeah, and I tried to get off halfway through. I couldn't quit. I could not stop. I was traumatized by it when i tried to quit I, I i felt like i was going like cuckoo insane straight jacket locked me up i'm gonna lose my mind and then i did it and i would like feel okay again so i was trapped and then so i, I got home and i was like god i'm gonna die on on this stuff you know i'm taking xanax to go to sleep and doing meth and can't mix uppers and downers and i was i was a tweaker but i was the biggest like uh, functioning tweaker i knew <laughs> what's a tweaker uh, a speed freak, a, okay. a meth addict. Right. And I was doing like real estate deals while two years on meth. I was making money. My partners were amazing. My my one partner was a, he built monster trucks. His son actually is becoming a professional racer right now. But uh, they invited me to go to church, him and the broker that we're, doing, that we're doing real estate deals with. Shout out to Doug and Eric. And, uh, and so they invited me to go to church. I'm like, man, only scare people go to church. I ain't going to church. Then I go home and I'm scared because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm miserable. I'm thinking about suicide. And so I'm trying to play it cool and everything. And 
I just hit him up one day. I was like, hey, I'll go with you guys, try to be a cool guy. They could sense that I was just lost. And so I went to church and brought my daughter. I was up all night. I, have, I was on meth when I walked in the doors of the church. Pastor got up, spoke. Every word was for me. I'm sure other people, but felt like it was for me. And he was like, anything in your life that you're struggling with, you come to church, you read the Bible, you talk to other Christians and grow, that stuff won't be able to stay. And I was like, this is my, this is my exit out of meth. So I was like, or this guy is completely crazy, and he just wants everyone's money, and how can he prove God is real? Like that. So I was like, I'm going to put it to a test. I'll prove him wrong, or I'll be free from drugs. I can't really lose. Both are kind of cool. And so I uh, I went home. I started praying, and I just he just said, like, reveal your heart to Jesus as you talk to him. That's all I remember. So I was like, Jesus, I kind of remembered asking him in my heart, you know, and I'm like, is this why my life isn't making sense? If you're real, can you take these drugs from me? Because my daughter, I was always to her, I was like, she deserves a better dad. I'm a loser. I don't know if you're real, if I'm talking to a wall. I was by myself, you know. I said, please help me. I need help. And uh, I kept going. to, Like he said, keep going to church. Keep talking to people. I kept doing it, even though I was on meth. I was trying to hide it. And uh, there was a point where I was just like, how do I know this is real? And, you know, I felt the presence come into the room, and it was like Christ walked in and and just just unconditionally forgave me and loved me. And uh, I looked up and around the room to see if there was, like, an angel behind me. or mm. And I was like, it was that real. He was, he was like, this is me. And nobody could convince me otherwise. Fifteen years later, oh, what's the date? Right now, it is January 9th, 2020. I, got, I came to Christ January 9th, 2005. Come on. Get out of I here. I promise you. It's on the internet, too. I forgot. It's today. Wow. How special is that? Wow. That's, well, it's an honor for me to be here with you on that day. Oh, wow. Honor's mine. Man. And uh, so- hey, man. Hold on. We're going further. Do something that's called the aggressive life, right? That's what the caucus is. I'm going to pray for you right now. I've never prayed in the middle of a podcast before. First time for everything. First time. You can do anything. This is your it's podcast. my podcast. <laughs> my podcast. God, right now, I'm looking at this man. I'm looking at an amazingly godly man, and I thank what you did at him 15 years ago. Thank you. And I thank you for thank what he's you. doing. You're doing him right now. He can do things that other people cannot do, and you're putting something on him and in him and through him yes. that I ask that he would just boldly welcome it and walk into it. Thank you for how he's blessing us today. I receive that. Yeah. And yes. All right. Bless him back, Lord, if you're not busy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. So, I, I, man, Brian, I could, seriously, I, I could go deep on this. We, we have a four-hour podcast, but I'm realizing, and everyone would love every minute, you have a movie that talks about all of this stuff and way, way more. Why don't you tell us about that movie, that project? It's really intense. Yeah. Um, thank you for checking it out, by the way. It's called Loud Crazy Love. It's a documentary about me being born into this world and my daughter being born into the chaos of rock stardom and how it damaged me, her mother, her family, and uh, how it got put back together. Just the whole story. Dudes, I'll tell you. It's amazing. This the whole story behind the story for how we're here today, Brian and I, or um, 
few weeks ago, I was coming down to Nashville because I'm looking to bring man camp here. It's 17,000 guys have been through a thing called man camp. We're going to bring the Nashville area. And this woman so cool. texts me. Uh, her name is uh, Brittany Ruby Miller. Um, has a steakhouse. She runs some steakhouse across the country. She said, hey, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to get with uh, these people I'm connecting with. And, da, 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 and so, she, so she connects with these, with these people. And uh, I start hearing about your name. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they did this movie. It was, and I'm, I'm, I'm sensing this movie is like a Christian movie. So I'm hearing this, and I'm like, man, all right, that's good. The Christian movie's got to be out there. I'm a busy there. guy. I'm yeah. a busy guy. <laughs> Christian movie's been out there, but man, <laughs> like when someone like broadcasts their Christianity to me, I'm, I'm not liking it. I'm a pastor. Like someone gives me a business card, they're a plumber, and they put a fish on it. I'm not hiring you, you know. So. Ah. Cause, cause you're just you're not a good plumber. You don't lay good pipe. That's what she said. Anyway, so I'm she, telling your so, congregation. So, so uh, I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's good. Whatever. So, <laughs> Brittany, then she emails me her and her husband Caleb. Hey, I'm going to have dinner with Brian. If you want to come, I'm like, they have this amazing steakhouse. Of course, I'm going to do the amazing steakhouse. Of course, I am because I assume they're going to pay. So, of course, of course, I am. And she sends me a link to your movie. I'm like, okay, I guess this is the um, the ticket to get the free meal and hang out with this Brian guy, which I wasn't a corn fan at all. I didn't, I didn't know corn, right? So I'm like, all right, I got to watch this movie just so I have something to talk about. So I watch this movie and I am, I am mesmerized. And when I'm did moved. it get you? I'm how even, far in? I'm even moved. I'm even moved right now just looking at you and talking about how far in? Like, was it the beginning? How it was just Honestly, felt eerie? you know what it was? That It was... When I was hearing a movie, I remember the exact scene. When I was hearing a movie that was obviously about Jesus, and the word was in it. But it was not just to say it. It no, was like that's what I mean. When those two things, right? it, it was. It was, and I was like, "Wow, these guys—they they just flipped the script." I mean, you were you were talking about your stuff, your drug stuff. You were talking. I was seeing stuff about what God was doing your parents. And I was hearing people, you weren't editing people out. And I just gone, I've gone through this right now with a project we have on Amazon prime called phantom Lake, where these guys are on these, these motorcycles going across Colorado, people, men and women who don't know how to ride. And it's rough. It's rough. And, and people are, you know, I'm, I'm using tobacco of all types of forms, which I do on a motorcycle, and there's all kinds of four-letter words, and we wrestled. Again, can we have these? I don't know. Can we Not like philosophically, is it okay? Just what about the audience? Will the audience be able to deal with this guy who is a pastor, and there's these choices, and we just agonize, and here I am looking at you. You're just like, screw it all. You're just like, it's my life. It's my movie. It's my God. It's my story. It's my friends. They're going to talk and say what they want to say, and I'm not going to edit them. And it was, it was uh, Lib and I. You, everything. Your your daughter's relationship. Your daughter's vulnerability. Friends, if you want an understanding of, you know, if you've got a dysfunctional family, that there is hope and there is healing, and there's not a, a nice bright bow on all the story, but there's enough of a bow in the story. I just. I, I can't. I can't. Talk. I'm. I'm. I want to. I'm gonna watch it again. It was. It was. Dudes. I'm telling. I told you. Told you. It was freaking amazing. And I don't like that stuff. It was well, great. I got. I mean, the 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 creative team, Detori Mayo. You know, honestly, it wouldn't be what it is without those guys. They did. They put this thing together. But you know, Jenea, my daughter, she was 15 years old at the time, and I told her, "Look, we want to do a documentary." 
We want to bring cameras in to our counseling sessions and everything. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if you do, um, we'll we'll keep all the footage. You can own it, and you can say, yes, I want to use it, or no, you don't. And so she agreed, and so she's the brave one, too, you know? Phenomenal. Yeah. I don't care what your faith perspective is if you're listening. I don't care. I'm just telling you, you will be thankful you watch that movie. It will make you think. It will make you feel it's just good. It's just, it's it's good. It's good entertainment, and it's and it's uh, it's enlightening. I couldn't I couldn't encourage it more. Thank you very much, my friend. All right, hey, let's take a break here, and let me tell you, this episode is brought to you by Groove Life. You can get fifteen percent off your next silicone ring or watch band at GrooveLife.com. The promo code is Tome fifteen. Been wearing these rings nonstop for a long time. So if you want to try one of these out, they're pretty darn cool and affordable. You can use promo code TOME15. You can get 15% off. Is there anything you play right now with corn that you're going like, oh, man, I wish I, this didn't have to be my job and I got to play this? Um, like morally speaking. Anything you're like, eh, I'm playing this, but I'm not listening. Ah, la, 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 <laughs> la, la, la. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really. I used to be overly religious. And everything, and so most of the, the songs are just about pain and, and whatnot, and so I don't get too uptight about it. Oh, overly religious. So you have what happened to a lot of people. You come to know Christ, and you just, the pendulum swings wildly from like oh way, God. way out to now like there's a demon behind every door and under every bush, and now you're trying to invent rules that God doesn't like or listen to people. I took who, all uh, my gold records. We sold like, you know, multi-million records. I put them all in the garage and was like, I'm going to get rid of them. And they're like, my family, my friends, you can't get rid of those. Those are, I'm like, all right, I'll keep them. They had to talk me into it because I thought it was like all just my old evil life. I don't want no memory of it. And so, and then there were, there were times where just I would be judgmental and everything with people. And I was a nut, man. And I went after, I went and found tried to find 50 Cent in New York City to tell him that God wants him to repent or whatever. How'd that go? I found his jeweler, and I bought, like, some diamond necklace to give a, 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 a nanny that I got into a bad fight with, and I went, I'm so sorry. God bless you. And I gave her a diamond. And so I was like, Jacob. I think he, Jacob went to jail. He was, like, all the rapper's jewel, jeweler. And I was like, where's 50 Cent? I got to find him. God's... I didn't say God's got a message, but in my head, I'm like, I got to deliver this message. Lord, I'm going to show you that I'm not afraid. I'm bold and all this stuff. And so he's like, yeah, I just saw him last Tuesday, but I go, listen, give him this. And uh, I said, he's got like two weeks to respond or something like that. Or I'm going or I'm going to call him out publicly on online. And so I I use it as a do not do meth commercial because <laughs> I was fresh. Like literally, I was weeks off of meth. So I thought God was telling me to go... It's really embarrassing, but um, yeah, don't do meth, boys and girls. And so I went online and I was like, listen, there's a song I wrote, I wrote to 50 Cent, a letter to him. I wrote a personal letter, but he didn't respond to me. So I'm just, I'm trying to get this to him. So I'm going to release this song. It was embarrassing, really uh, embarrassing. But yeah, I was I was a nut. Well, part of the upside of that, though, is that is at least you had passion. I find many of us who have faith... There comes a place where we lose the passion and it's about our intellectual beliefs. Right. And then we end up falling off relationship with Christ because then somebody else with good intellectual beliefs and thoughts sidetracks us, you know? 
yeah, I just you know what? You just forgive yourself and move on and and but it's fun. it's a funny story, so I'm glad I got that. All right, lightning round. We're going to close the lightning round. Uh-oh. All right, here we go. Lightning round. Number one, favorite tattoo. Um, left arm. Okay, tell us you can tell us what it is. That, that's okay. fun. Okay, it's Jesus on top from Rio, the statue. My daughter as a 5-year-old underneath him and abused children underneath her. So it just goes it's like stacked good. Wow, good. All right. What band beside Corn would you want to play with sometime or in sometime? Actually, in like, give me some people. You're in. You're on stage. Who? Oh, ACDC. ACDC. That's the band that got me um, to want to play guitar and to want to get into music. So when you brought that up, I was like, that was my jam. Best guitarist ever. Um, Brian Welch. No. Okay. Second best guitarist ever. <laughs> um, what my favorite. Probably uh, Randy Rhodes. Why? Why him? Just because he had so much like beauty in his melodies and speed, and he used his notes tastefully, and he didn't go overboard to show off. It was like the guitar had um, had as good as melodies as Ozzy did, and it was just, yeah, it's timeless. Mm. Dream music collaborator. Dream music collaborator. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Um, I got to do this fast. Tom Morello. Okay. Best guitar brand. ESP. I'm ba- under contract. Band or you want okay? Band or musical artist. People would be surprised that you really like. Oh, that's so hard. Taylor Swift. All right. My next I'm wife. Get a lot of hate for that. No, you won't. My next wife will have to. Hmm. Be understanding of my lifestyle. What would that be? What's your, you mean? Just the rock and roll, like travel, uh, travel I'm like stuff. never home. And she basically has to marry someone that won't be home, but she can have a good FaceTime relationship with. So. How many, how many nights a year are you out in the road right now? Well, I come home, and then I'm like, I'm home less than a week, and I'm going to do speaking, you know? So it's like constant. If I had a wife, I would not be able to do what I do as much because it, it's hard. It's too hard. Right. If you could see any band in history, living or dead, who would it be? Hmm. Any band? Yeah, any band or artist or singer, if you could see him. Like Judy Garland. Led Zeppelin. I never saw them live. Ah, all right. That's just like off the top of my head. That's all right. That's why it's called I'm the Lightning Run. I'm not good at these. That's why it's the called way. the Lightning Run. You're very good at these. All the, all, all the, uh, all the stuff you snorted up in your nose, I can't, I can't imagine you got as many answers out as you did. Right? <laughs> That's Go good. Go figure. That's a miracle. Is there anything else? You'd want everybody who is listening to you right now to, to hear, know. yeah, to hear or know. Give it, give it, give us your, give us your final shot. But hey, before I leave here, I want everybody who's listening to know this. Before I leave here, I want everybody who's listening to know that st- you need to stop being uptight. I mean, this generation, if we're going to be uptight over a little language or or some people's failures or whatnot, then they're never going to come to Christ. They can come as they are in whatever lifestyle they're in. As soon as they meet him, they start to melt and things start to change. And sometimes 
they change quickly, and sometimes over many years people change. So stop judging, be open, and uh, don't get offended so easily. And go see my movies available on Showtime, Amazon, and uh, iTunes for rent and all that, or DVD. Yeah, well, let's, let's do that right now. How do people follow up with you or watch your stuff or know what's going on in your life? Yeah, brianheadwelch.net. Brian had uh, Instagram, Brian had Welch, Twitter, Brian had Welch, all one word. Brian with an I. Loud Crazy Love, the movie is with a K. So, yeah, and, and um, I love you all. There you have it. One of my uh, most meaningful broadcasts we've ever done. Dude, seriously. Really? Totally. You're a rock star. I'm impressed with you. I'm just impressed. You are a rock star, but no, you're a rock star. I, I, you know, the aggressive life. I mean, you're it, man. You're it, man. You're like, you're you're living your life. You're staying in your lane, and you're doing some crazy aggressive stuff. And your faith doesn't keep you from that. It pushes you into that. What's inspiring is not your job as a guitarist with corn. What's inspiring is you're taking the lot that's dealt with you, and you're grabbing your life by the freaking throat, and you're living it, and you're not compromise well you're doing some we often do some compromising yeah we do you're not you're not shunning your god at all I'm you're exalting out, your you god know, no it's i it's, love him it's, so it's much amazing. and uh you know it was it was hard though because it, um the lord really worked dramatically in my life in the beginning i left everything and then my whole story was i left everything i left 23 million dollar record deal to follow jesus to uh, a, a life of struggle I played empty concerts and I was doing solo stuff and everything was failing. And then he leads me back to corn. So I'd resisted. I was like, what about my story? I left everything. I'm like this guy, this hero of faith in this generation, left everything to follow Jesus. He's like, go back. I'm like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna all persecute me and say this and that. And so but to hear you say this makes it all worth it, you know? Not everybody gets me, gets my story, got a lot of judgments, but this just really like makes it all worth it. Well, so thank you for having me. Yeah, you are, well, we've got a lot of things that are different than each other, just looks and everything, but man, the heart, I just, I do, man. I feel you're not like a brother, you are a brother, I'm thankful for you. So there we go. Lot. means a lot. That is it. We're going to wrap up the aggressive life. Until next time, go out and live your life. Go live your life. Yeah, you're not going to be a rock star in all likelihood, but, man, you can be a rock star plumber. You can be a rock star pastor. You can be a, you can be a rock star stay-at-home parent. Live your life. Grab your life by the throat. Don't live somebody else's life. Live your life. And what do you know? You might find that you fall in love with your life. This is Brian Tone. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band Judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.